Good morning. I've never used one of these like on the ear mics before and I feel like a pop star. So if I uh, come across that way, that's fine. Um, well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is AC Rowland. And like Adam said, I'm the student minister here at Aspen Grove. Um, so just a little bit about me. Uh, just like you said, I started working here in at the end of 2017. Um, while I was still working on my Master's of Divinity at Lipscomb. And then in October of 2018, I married my best friend, Caleb. And then I graduated and became the student minister here in the following May. Uh, my very favorite part about being a youth minister is all of the pizza that I get to eat. Um, <laughs> but really, I love uh, getting to walk with teenagers through some of the most formative years of their lives and do my best to consistently point them to Jesus. Uh, if you had asked me a couple years ago if I would ever be interested in preaching, I probably would have laughed out loud. Um, but here I am, and I am extremely grateful to Adam and to all of you guys for the privilege of sharing such a rich passage today. So I have a quick question to ask you guys before we get started. Um, who here has a green thumb? Anyone? Nobody in our church has? A, okay, okay, we got some people back here. Okay, good. Good. Um, so you're really good with plants. Maybe you have indoor plants, little succulents or cacti, and maybe a garden outside. Um, I have a dream of having a little garden when Caleb and I have a house and a backyard. Um, I would love to try to grow a couple of vegetables and herbs and maybe some flowers, but I have to admit that I do not have a green thumb. Um, I have a lot to learn about taking care of plants uh, because my one past attempt ended very quickly and pretty terribly. I picked up a small mint plant from the grocery store, and those are supposed to be uh, very hard plants to kill. Uh, the tag legitimately said, water me when you remember to, and give me sunlight. So I took it home, gave it a little bit of water, put it in front of our balcony door so that it would get some sun, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that that plant was dead within a week. <laughs> I'm honestly not sure how I managed to do that. Um, and I am still secretly positive that I could not possibly have done something that wrong in such a short amount of time. Uh, but while I am apparently capable of plant neglect, uh, the people to whom Jesus is speaking in our passage today probably would have been very familiar with taking care of plants, as most of them were probably farmers by trade. So we're going to take a look at the beginning of our passage, just the first couple verses. Uh, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. I know we're excited to get into the parable, but I'm going to stop us right here just for a second first. It's only in chapter 4, and Mark is telling us that Jesus has already amassed a crowd of followers so huge that in order to speak to them, he has to go out into the water and teach them from a boat. Jesus has already created a reputation for himself of being a wise and interesting teacher. And we see all throughout this book and in the other gospels that people want to know who this man is. He comes healing, teaching, casting out demons, calming storms like at the end of this chapter, and even claiming that he is the Messiah that an entire nation has been anxiously awaiting. People wonder who this teacher is because they're amazed at what he is saying and doing. Even today, we ask that same question as the people in our passage. Who is this man? Let's keep reading the next couple of verses and hear our parable. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. 
The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I love that Jesus started by his teaching by saying, listen. This was not supposed to be like a, hey, you, be quiet kind of command. But instead, it acts as an invitation for his audience to really listen for understanding. I don't have any kids yet, but I have done a lot of babysitting and nannying in my days. And I cannot tell you how many times I've said the phrases, hey, look into my eyes. Or, okay, are you listening to my words? <laughs> Jesus begins his parable by encouraging those who are physically hearing his words to be spiritually listening to his message. It also makes perfect sense that Jesus would use a farming and planting analogy. Today, you and I probably know very little about farming and would have no idea what to do if we were given tools and seeds and then left alone in a field. But look at where Jesus was teaching. It's beautiful. It's the Sea of Galilee. So many people in Galilee would have been farmers, or if they weren't, they would have at least been familiar with the basics of farming. Their seasons were based on plowing, planting, and harvesting. Even fishermen who were out on the water all day could have seen the farmers working from their boats. Parables allowed Jesus to teach important spiritual principles using everyday language that his listeners would understand. And this parable, which is one of only two lengthy parables in the book of Mark, and the only one that comes with an explanation, is what one scholar calls the parable of parables. As Jesus will say later, understanding this parable is the key to understanding all of the other ones. Now, the fact that the farmer is scattering his seed across many different types of soil could mean a couple different things. It seems like a farmer who knows anything about his job would not be throwing seed into rocks and thorns on purpose because that would affect his livelihood come harvest. So this could be a way that Jesus was trying to grab the attention of his listeners. They might have heard him and thought, what kind of a farmer is this guy? But we also have to remember that farming in Jesus's day was probably much different than the kind that we see today. Instead of plowing and planting in rows like farmers do today, Workers in Jesus' day would have simply planted in large fields or on the other side of roads uh, in order to make the most of good soil. When I was in Mozambique, every square foot that was not a house or a dirt path was covered in crops. Jesus then ends his parable by again telling the crowds that anyone who has ears to hear should really listen to what he is saying. He bookends his parable with this invitation to listen. The qualification here is not simply that people have ears, but that they have ears to hear. What does this mean? How do you know whether or not you have ears to hear? Just as we see with the different kinds of soil, the different kinds of ears you have are dependent on how receptive you are to the message. If you only listen for what you already know and agree with, you do not have ears to hear. If you come into a conversation or a teaching with preconceived biases about the speaker or the message, you do not have ears to hear. It's only in valuing the person that you're listening to and being open to hearing their message, whatever it may be, that you have ears to hear and truly hear. I'm not advocating for blindly listening to and believing everything that you hear, 
but for having an open mind and heart as you listen in order to learn and understand, not simply listen for response or disagreement. However, we see that even Jesus' disciples who have been following him didn't really understand what his parable meant. We're going to keep looking at the next couple of verses. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. These seem like really harsh words from Jesus, and they can be very confusing for us to understand. Shouldn't Jesus want for his listeners to turn to him and be forgiven? Why does he sound like he doesn't want people to understand him and turn from their own sinfulness? To really grasp the history of this quote, we have to go back to Isaiah 6. We don't easily make this connection to Isaiah, but the Jewish people listening to Jesus surely would have realized what he was quoting and maybe even put themselves in the shoes of Isaiah's listeners. In this chapter, God has called Isaiah to be a prophet to his people, and God gives him his mission and his message. The role of the prophet in the Old Testament was never easy, but it does seem that Isaiah was given an incredibly difficult job. We're going to read verses 8 to 13. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Yes, go. And say to this people, Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears, shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, Until their towns are empty, their houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. Until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. Isaiah was sent to tell people to plug their ears and keep their heads in the sand. He's essentially given a mission of being ignored and rejected. And although he is willing, he seems dejected as he asks God how long the people will continue to reject the Lord. And we read that God foresees his own people rejecting him to the point of total destruction. This is so discouraging until we get to the second half of that very last verse. These few words promise us that there will be a stump, a tiny holy seed that chooses to believe in God, chooses to hear and understand. When it seems like there is no hope and that God's people have turned away from him and he from them, God promises that there will be relationship between him and his faithful people. Every time that the Lord promises destruction of his own people, it's for the intent of causing them to turn back to him and trust him once again. Even in the midst of destruction, there is hope. This reference to Isaiah helps us understand this parable a little bit more fully. Jesus knows that some people will plug their ears and refuse to hear his good news, and because of that, they will not turn to him and be forgiven. 
but he also shows us that there are a select few who will hear and understand, a few to whom the mystery of the kingdom is revealed. And this passage reminds us of the faithfulness of God. God knew that his people would have plugged ears and hard hearts, but he sent Isaiah to them anyway. In the same way, even though God knew that some people would reject Jesus and in the end kill him, he still sent his son. God eagerly desires relationship with his people, but he also desires receptive hearts and ears. As we continue to look deeper in our parable, we see that there are a lot of different players here. Jesus takes the time to explain his parable to his disciples when they ask. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So first we have the farmer. At the time of the parable, it's obvious that Jesus is the farmer. In fact, even by telling the parable, he is scattering seeds of truth among the many different types of people who are listening to him. However, as Jesus handed the reins and authority of taking the good news to the world to his disciples, they also became the farmers. And today, we too have the responsibility to take on that role. The seeds that we sow are the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus commands us at the end of this book and at the end of Matthew to go into all the world and make and baptize disciples. The first kind of ground that the seed falls to is the footpath. It's here that the seed would have been trampled on or picked up and taken away by birds. When we think about this kind of soil in terms of people, this represents those people who are unwilling or unable to hear the truth of God. This may be because of their own pride, because of how sure they are that their way is right, or because of the underlying belief that they don't need a God. These people are unreceptive to the word of God, and their hearts are so hard that no seed of truth can grow there. The second kind of soil that we see is one that's shallow. Instead of having deep layers of rich soil, there's a thin top layer with rocks underneath that prevent roots from digging deep and reaching more nutrients. People with this kind of soil in their hearts are those of us who are excited about Christianity at first, but don't put the time and effort into digging deep and planting roots. They wither at the first sign of struggle, and they never have the time to sprout. Instead of putting the teachings of Jesus into practice in their everyday lives and becoming true disciples, their faith is short-lived because they do not feed it what it needs to grow. With this type of faith, struggles and problems move people farther away from God instead of closer to him. The third kind of soil in this parable is the one with thorns that grow up out of it. These thorns take nutrients away from the seed and they choke it out, not leaving it the food or room that it needs to grow. This represents people who allow other things, good or bad, to take their primary focus off of Jesus. Whether it's family or their job or their busy schedules, 
or maybe it's their own sins or anxieties of the world that we live in or the love of money. These people love God, but not as much as they worry about the things of the world. They want God, but not as much as they want security or money or that next raise and bigger house. Now, I don't mean to say that we should not give time and energy to things like our families and jobs and good hobbies or that we can ever fully focus on God 100% of the time. And I'm not even saying that it's sinful to sometimes feel anxiety or fear. But at the end of this chapter, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are experiencing fear that's paralyzing them. Jesus' response was to ask them why they're still afraid and don't have faith. The thorns of life block our view of God and allow us to be overwhelmed by worries and distracted by things that should come second to God. The last kind of soil is the good, rich, healthy soil. When the seeds fell on this soil, they sprouted up and grew into plants that yielded further crops. The soil was receptive, which allowed the seeds to be productive. When we take care of the soil in our hearts and allow it to become fertile, the result is always growth and reproduction. If the message of Jesus Christ has truly been planted in your heart and grown into a good crop, this crop will bring forth new life and new seeds, which are then scattered to the soils around you. This parable is, of course, an analogy for how human hearts receive and react to the truth of God's word. It encourages us to take care of our hearts and keep them receptive to truth. We can even learn from the unproductive soils what our hearts should not be like. One scholar says that the soil of the footpath teaches us to be receptive, the rocky soil to be persistent, the thorny soil to be single-minded, and the good soil to be responsive. But this parable is also an encouragement to those of us who sow seeds, those of us who are actively working to grow followers of Jesus Christ. This parable provides us with good perspective because it reminds us that we are responsible for knowing and scattering good seed but we cannot control the soil that it lands on, nor can we make the seeds grow. Jesus commands us to make disciples, but the Spirit is the one who changes the soil in people's hearts. Before we wrap up, I want to go back to verse 11 one more time. Jesus told his disciples and the others who were following him that they were permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. While it's easy to misunderstand this language as defining who is an insider and who is an outsider, we know that that's the opposite of the mission of Jesus. If we take a look at the Greek, it'll provide us with a little bit of insight to what's really going on here. So I'm going to nerd out and do a little Greek. The word secret is the Greek word mysterion, which is where we get the word mystery. But this word has an interesting connotation of describing something that was hidden for a time with the purpose of being revealed in God's timing. The secret of the kingdom of heaven was always supposed to be revealed. In fact, Jesus came to this earth for the purpose of bringing clarity to the mystery. Overwhelmingly, Jesus wants people to understand the mystery, to repent, and to be saved. Those on the outside are there because of their own choice. People always have the opportunity to come to Jesus with ears to hear and be given the answer. While I fully believe in the work of the Spirit in our own hearts, we also have the free will and responsibility to choose whether or not we listen to truth. Sometimes we choose to be spiritually deaf, and in doing so, we keep ourselves on the outside of the kingdom. 
Jesus's goal was never to keep people out, but the mystery remains hidden from people so long as they reject truth. In contrast to those on the outside, those who are on the inside, who have faith, were given the gift of the mystery being revealed. Jesus has three other parables in this chapter that give us an even bigger picture of the kingdom of God. The parable of the lamp shows us that gives us an even bigger picture of the kingdom of God. The parable of the lamp shows that the purpose of Jesus's message in parables is not to hide the truth, but to bring light to it. The parable of the seed that grows while the farmer sleeps reminds us that the kingdom grows in mysterious ways, sometimes independent of human effort. And the parable of the mustard seed gives us hope about the amount of harvest that we will one day reap. So the question this parable is asking us is this, what kind of soil are you? We all want to be the good soil, but are you putting in the time to cultivate that soil, to plow, to weed, to add nutrients, to pull out the thorns? We must actively and intentionally put in the work to grow our roots deeper and deeper into the good and rich soil. We must refuse to allow the consumerism of our culture, the fear-mongering of our media, and the glorification of our full schedules to crowd our faith out of the sun. And we must do these things in order to be the kind of crops that yield a hundredfold, the kind of disciples who make more disciples. So what are you doing to bear fruit for the kingdom of God? With whom are you sharing the seeds of the gospel? These questions are ones that we need to ask ourselves over and over again and be answering honestly in order to avoid becoming apathetic or allowing what we know to be true to be taken away like seeds on the path. Because the truth of the matter is that we can all be every type of soil at different times in our lives. There are seasons in which we refuse to listen to something that God is telling us. We've all sat here and listened to excellent sermons or heard that still small voice and then still neglected to follow where Jesus is calling us. And each of us at times allow busyness or fear to distract us from God's mission for our lives. But the good news of this parable and the good news of Jesus is that we all get the opportunity to have ears to hear and hearts that are made of good and fertile soil. May we cultivate rich, receptive soil in our own hearts, and may we always scatter the seeds of God's truth on the hearts of others. As we move into a time of communion, I'm going to invite Adam up here to lead us into that space.